SM family this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable. Wendy Batts and myself, Marty Miller, will be going over questions from the group part two. You ask, we listen. So this topic is all about the questions that you have been sending us either personally or through the NASM CPT page. So Wendy, how you doing? And are you ready to kick this off? I am doing very well, Marty. So thank you for asking. And yes, I really enjoy. These are probably my favorite ones because these are these are actual questions that we see from the Facebook page. We commonly see these questions and we get emails about them. So while we see a ton of different uh, questions that we could bring on, I think all of these kind of hit home to us and we can provide really good information plus resources on where to go to gather more information you know, other than just always reaching out to us as well. Yeah, I mean, we do this for a lot of reasons, but at the end of the day, the main reason we do this is because we want you to get the information you're looking for. We love to teach. We love to be around all these amazing NASM professionals, but truly we always think about what is it that you all want so you can advance your career. So this is a perfect topic for today. Yes. And so what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about about the NASM Certified Personal Trainers private page. So we're going to go and show you where you can do that. And of course, what the goal of that is, is it's a community, guys. It's a community where you can, you know, reach out to your fellow NASM trainers, ask questions, because we've had people that have been doing this longer than Marty and I that are part of this page. And the amount of information that they can provide sometimes gives a different insight of maybe something that, that Marty and I might do that. And it's completely different, but absolutely like a phenomenal answer. And so I think getting different people's ideas and questions, you know, I, I love the actual page. And if you're not a part of it, then you'll go in, you'll, um, you know, click that you want to do it. We check to make sure that everyone is up to date and validated. So as long as you're, you um, have a validated CPT, uh, you can be a part of that page. And then, we're going to talk about some of the popular questions that we get. Yeah, I was on the coffee talk this week and I brought it back up, you know, always reminding people to check this page out because, you know, I do the coffee talk Monday or Tuesday mornings, similar to this, you, I come on there, no agenda, ask me questions, but I always remind people that they always have that uh, Facebook page as another resource to be able to interact with other like-minded professionals and then also ask any question they would like. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, again, we've already kind of talked about the goal of the CPT page, but guys, really on networking, it's phenomenal because we have people that are asking, okay, I'm getting ready to go in and do an interview at this particular company with this particular group. Does anyone, does anyone have any suggestions or can provide me with some information that might help me get this job? Or, you know, we're going to, you know, say, hey, I live in this area and we're doing this fundraiser, or this community event. And it just allows people to know where everyone's from, invite people that are, that are around you that you didn't even know were around you. Or you can talk to people that are from all over the world that are a part of this page. And that's one of the things that I love, especially Marty and I teach internationally as well. We can stay um, connected to these people no matter how far away they are. And so I think networking is huge. Um, again, you get a bunch of different like-minded people that have the same philosophy and methodology on programming because they are NASM certified. So I think that's good, especially if you have specific questions with a client that you maybe aren't sure about, you can bring it, um, you know, bring it onto the page. And we have people like Scott Cheatham, who's one of our lead researchers as well. He's on our advisory board. He chimes in very often 
especially if it's something that might be borderline not on our scope he can give some really good um, information to keep us within our scope of practice but overall i go on that page you know once a day not just to, to scroll social media but just to see what is the conversation are there any questions that maybe i can help answer or did someone spark you know a, a good quality conversation that i want to be a part of and so i think professionally it is um it's really a good good page to be a part of because it provides all of that yeah and you just never know who you're going to meet and what topic's going to spur that next thought process for yourself so i would check it out a couple times a week for sure So now the key thing is, do, do you know, or did you know that NASM now has two different Instagram channels? And there's a reason why. We've got the NASM Fitness channel, which we've had for a long time. You can see well over 200,000 followers. That is everything NASM. That's where I jump on uh, early in the week for our coffee talk. That's where you're going to see things about all of our different certifications and all kinds of promotions. That's where you can find, you'll see right there, our different podcasts. But NASM just started at the beginning of the year in a performance Instagram channel. And that's going to go a little more towards sports performance and or physique and bodybuilding coaching. So there's going to be a little bit of different information. Both are worth checking out. And Wendy, maybe do you want to give them the uh, little secret surprise on what we're doing on the NASM performance? <laughs> yeah. So Marty and I jump on, you know, usually twice a month and the times kind of vary, but we do promote it. And we do an Instagram live on the NASM performance uh, Instagram channel. And we do that because we want to talk about a, our love for uh, performance, but you know, when we're talking about performance, it's not just the performance enhancement specialist or the PES that we go into. So it's not just about five, you know, phases five and six, or depending if you're old school, you know, maybe five, six and seven, or just even six and seven, which is really working with professional athletes at the highest level. This is really all inclusive where we really bring in some, some researchers such as Guillermo um, Escalante. He was one of our, our lead um, subject matter experts for the physique and bodybuilding course that just launched with NASM at Optima last year. And he does something where he gets on live and he brings up research and it's called Beyond the Abstract. And so he's going in, looking at an abstract, looking at a research article and breaking down components of whether it's a really good article or not in ways that we can kind of help decipher, you know, what are some of the strategies we should maybe include with some of these, you know, higher level um, athletes. Um, we really talk a lot about coaching. We talk a lot, we have really good videos about how to integrate some of these different types of supersets or how to work with, um, you know, speed, agility and quickness and different aspects and ways. So they've done a phenomenal job with this channel, I think, because it is still part of NASM. We're all integrated. We have fitness, but we, we want to really bring in a different type of audience as well on the performance side. So I would, I, I do it and I love it being a part of both because it allows me to really focus on my fitness um, questions and content and learning more on that aspect, but then taking it to a little different, you know, um, community of thinking on the performance side as well. Yeah, they're both definitely things that you want to follow for different reasons, but you'll see the synergy between them because it is still all NASM, which would be the entirety of the OPT model. All so right. So, go. Question yeah, so, one. so today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts, are talking about questions from the group. So, so far, we've really just gone over 
A, if you're not a part of the NASM CPT uh, community page, you really want to be a part of that. And two, be a part of both of our Instagram pages. I think you're going to learn a ton. Plus, we do a lot of lives. Marty and I are live. We're going to have um, Andy Hanley comes on and does some live and, and just mentioned, um, uh, you know, our researchers that are also a part of that, too. So Guillermo. And um, but these are questions that we actually pulled from the CPT page. And this is one Marty and I get all the time. So, Marty, I'm going to ask you this question because I know we have the same answer, but getting at definition, all right? Is it food? Is it exercise? Is it genetics? Is it all of it? Or is there a difference between a male and a female? Is there any difference? Yes. Okay, question two. No. And mic drop. No. So everybody has a six pack somewhere. It's just, where is it, right? And you know the reason I say that is abdominals, everybody, if you, get rid of all of the visceral fat that somebody's carrying. It could be a lot, it could be a little. Everyone has the same muscles. And if you get to that layer, they're going to look quote unquote ripped. So a lot of different factors. We didn't even put age in, right? As we age, our body tends to want to store a little more body fat. So there's so many different ways to attack it. But first and foremost is, you know, pick the right parents, right? Genetically, if you tend to be leaner, that's going to help you. It's not one specific exercise over another that's going to get those muscles to, to pop out. It's what is your overall body fat is, is the first overarching part. Now, there are people that their natural body fat, even when they're exercising and doing everything they can with their diet, might be 15, 17% for a male. Probably not going to see the same definition as somebody who would naturally be able to carry around 8 or 9% body fat or even lower. Same thing with females. On the spectrum, females, their body wants to hold more body fat because they're responsible for birth. Like it's a huge responsibility that males don't have. So their body would have a propensity to store more body fat. Now, there are, again, within the spectrum, there's going to be women who tend to be a little leaner, especially if they're playing sports. But sometimes if they get too lean, then they have to worry about their menstrual cycle. So there's different um, effects that you have to worry about that. But the key thing is to be healthy to go through the entire model, to have great core stability, then core strength, then core power. Then you have to look at your goals. Is your goal to get leaner? Well, that's why we have the physique and bodybuilding coach course. That's also why we have the certified nutrition coach and the sport nutrition coach. So you can maximize your benefits. And maybe you're just doing something that you don't even realize that maybe having you store a little extra body fat. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of things to it, but having ripped abs doesn't mean that you have strong abs or stable abs. What I'm saying by that is I've seen people who are shredded, but they can't hold a plank properly for more than five seconds. I've seen people who have of a higher percent body fat that are rock stars with core exercises. So don't correlate the definition with the ability of those muscles to fire appropriately as needed in real life, right? So I wish I could just say that, yeah, just do a bunch of crunches and bunches and you're gonna have ripped abs. No, you're gonna create postural problems. And a crunch doesn't burn as many calories as a kettlebell swing or you know, a walking lunge with rotation, depending on what phase of training you're in. So long answer, but hopefully I covered the majority of it there, Wendy. So you're saying if I did 500 crunches a day, I wouldn't have ripped abs, Marty? Well, if you starve yourself simultaneously, <laughs> potentially, but it's not just because of the crunches. Yeah. And guys, again, flexion and extension, you're going to use your rectus abdominis. And that's pretty much what we're doing. But think about the core. There's approximately 29 muscles 
that attach to, to the spine and you need to make sure that those are are nice and stable and strong so when you do start adding some of these different movement patterns that you're typically doing for your quote abs that your spine and your body is is ready for that because if not you can start to get herniated discs fat low back pain because think about the psoas muscle itself you know if you're just keeping your your legs bent and then you start crunching that psoas muscle attaches to all your lumbar spine as well as flexes the hip so when you're doing that, you're really putting a lot of stress and strain on that. So when you get up, if you already have a low back arch, you're actually putting that in more of an overactive position that could lead to bigger problems down the road. Well said. Thanks. All right, question two. So Marty, I'm gonna read the questions. I like your answer. So I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna be the, the, the host and then you can be my, my interviewer. How about that? <laughs> So question two, okay, are there any bodybuilders or bodybuilding trainers here? I'll answer that one. Number one, yes, indeed. Um, but here you go. I've been personal training for quite a while now and um, as well as doing my own personal bodybuilding competitions. I just had someone ask me to train them for a show as well, and I'd love any helpful tips any of you have used. She will be my first bodybuilding client. Yes, yeah, so first and foremost, when you're getting that specific, go back to scope of practice in some areas, or do I truly have the experience to get this person what they want? And I have trained elite professional athletes. I've got sports medicine degrees all the way to my doctorate. I'll be the first one to say, I'm not the person for you for physique until I took the physique and bodybuilding coaches course. Now, with that being said, I'm maximum, well, I'm more competent in certain areas, right? but I'm a brand new physique and bodybuilding coach. So am I maximally competent? Probably not, but that doesn't mean now because of the course I took, I'm better suited to help this person. But there are people that are far better suited for this exact person than me. So depending on if they're going towards an elite level, maybe they already have a physique bodybuilding coach, me understanding what they're trying to do, but having a sports medicine, corrective exercise background can add value to them to pre get, prevent them from getting injured but their physique and bodybuilding coach course would know what they need leading up to the show better than me, right? So you have to look at, have I truly studied what the person needs? And do I have enough experience based on where they are in their journey? Nothing wrong with being humble. Like I said, I know I've done a lot in this industry. I've not done that. I'm new. I'm a brand new person to this certification. I would not take on this type of client. It wouldn't be fair to them. But if this was a passion of mine, I now am ready to start my journey at becoming better at a physique and bodybuilding coach. Yes. And I will say, I mean, I've trained someone to get them prepared for competition. And, you know, you really want to think about what it is that's going to make them successful and then what type of physique uh, or bodybuilding type of competition you're putting them in. And what I mean by that is you've got, you know, bikini and you've got, you know, um, I can't even think of the different ones, but you know, each one they're, they're looking for a different look. And what I did with the, with the client that I worked with was I got them physically ready. However, they had a specific coach, the posing coach and you know, the different things that you're going to need to be successful, you know, what they needed to wear. I learned how to bronze my first person, which y'all, I mean, that was that I had to take a lesson on that to make sure that they looked <laughs> phenomenal throughout, but it wasn't something that I 
wanted to do again. I wanted to do it once to say that I did, but symmetry is very important. And that's what brings us back to the OPT model. Having that foundation, we were able to really work on compensations. So therefore, when we started lifting heavy and getting them into truly a phase four um, to, to really work on, you know, phase three and four hypertrophy and muscular development with, with what I knew. And then they worked with a, spe a special nutritionist to make sure. And then this coach understanding the peaks um, of, you know, the peak week. So the week prior to actual competition, all of that is very important. If you do have questions, though, we have a, a tremendous amount of people that are on the CPT page that can help you. Andre Adams is one of our uh, subject matter experts that is also on this page. I think he actually chimed in and answered these questions as well and provided tips. So we are very fortunate for the people that we have a part of our community that can provide specific answers to specific questions. But if you're just looking in general, as Marty said, this physique and bodybuilding coach um, uh, course that was just launched is absolutely phenomenal and have some of the best researchers behind the content that was provided. Yeah, that's where, you know, surrounding yourself with people that, you know, can help raise your knowledge level is critical. Excellent. All right, so question number three. I'll go ahead and read this one too, Marty. All right, I'm an endurance coach and I primarily spend time using the OPT phases one, two, and five occasionally with my triathletes, runners, mountain bikers, and cyclists. I get feedback sometimes about my athletes, quote, not getting the aesthetic strength gains, unquote, that they wish or that they were, um, that they were used to before this type of training. It's frustrating because I put so much time and care addressing their compensations. And even though they report, quote, feeling stronger, they complain about whether uh, weaker looking chest or biceps muscles. Have any other endurance focused trainers experienced this with their clients? And as Ron Burgundy said, it's science, right? So <laughs> that is our, you know, uh, guru here. So the key thing here is principle of specificity. You know, you're going to get what you train for. If you turn, I mean, I was just out in LA. Wendy, you know that our, my company, we just launched a brand new product, hyper-focused for triathletes. I didn't walk in there going, God, how much can this guy bench or gal bench press? It's not necessary nor needed if you are trying to be an elite endurance athlete. So the question is, why would I necessarily want that, right? There's going to give and take. If I'm going to focus solely on being the best endurance athlete, I have to let that part of my ego go and say, I'm going to train like an elite cyclist. And because of the amount of calories I'm burning and the things I'm doing, I may not look the same as if I was in a different phase of training, but it's what's more important to you, right? Is it what you look like when you're off the bike or not running, or is it more important that you're running and cycling without injury? So you just got to have that heart to heart conversation with somebody and say, Hey, we can add other things back in, but with the amount of calories you're burning, like you may not get muscle hypertrophy, like you're burning 6,000 calories a day. To, to gain muscle mass, you have to have a positive caloric intake of at least 500 calories. So now that means you're going to have to eat at least 6,500 calories. And maybe that's not the right type, you know, that's where we have to truly decide what we're looking for. Now, I do know endurance athletes that they don't do any resistance training at all. They don't understand the importance of it. So yes, I could put that back in, but this conversation to me sounds like somebody who switched up their training for a different reason. And then they didn't know why their body necessarily changed differently, but that's what you're training for. So that's what you're going to get. Um, 
true story. I have a client that is an endurance runner. And when I say endurance runner would run marathons every other month. And he has ran a marathon in all 50 states. And that's one of the things that he, it was his old, you know, a uh, long-term goal. And he started to break down. He did not do any type of actual training with, you know, working on alignment. And so when he came and saw me, there was a lot of things that we noticed compensation wise because of the repetitive movement patterns. Guys, remember endurance runners, they're going to have a lot of compensations. And if you can better align them and work on the muscles that are underactive, that are causing certain compensations, for example, overactivity at the calves, if we start to realign the body, they're going to be able to go a lot longer because their body isn't, you know, utilizing as much, um, it, we're not stressing the joints. They can go longer, they feel better, and they're able to run even faster. One of the comments that I got once he started working with me is, oh my goodness, my glutes are so sore. He didn't say glutes, but we're going to say glutes for the sake of this, this power or uh, webinar. But, but one of the things was, is it was the first time he really got his glutes firing and he could feel them when he ran and he ran a lot longer and he started to feel better. And he came back with low back pain because he didn't have, he had overactive hips and underactive glutes shocker with a runner. <laughs> um, that's, that's a very common compensation. And so the thing is, is to Marty's point, if you want to look a certain way, you want to be able to do that. Yes. Can, can you, as the trainer make that happen? You can caloric intake going to be super important. You have to have those conversations of what's more important because as they also put on size, they're probably going to put on weight and then they're going to have to utilize, you know, more energy as they're running and they may not be able to go as far. So there are a lot of different components, as Marty just said, to think about because you have to understand what is the, the goal. And at that point, I think, I think what you're doing, if you're doing one, two, and five, I think you're actually doing things correctly. Maybe, you know, go through the phases and undulate a little bit more, and you might be a little more successful if you are still hearing complaints, but I, in my opinion, you're doing everything right. And as Ron Burgundy says, we'll just follow that science. It's science. All right. Well, I've been reading them, so I'm just going to keep on going here. So question number four, this is going to be the last question because again, we could talk about this stuff all day, but I work for the military. So first of all, I, I, the military, I hold very deep in my heart. So thank you for that. So I have a ton of credentials and work for a measly hourly wage, PT, group, pre and postnatal, prehab, FNS, FCS, yoga, USA, weightlifting coach, a number of group certs and Navy required certifications, et cetera. So they, it sounds like you've done an amazing job on your education. So kudos to you. Okay. So here's the question. I've had a few people I've helped outside along the years, but never knew what to charge when they asked. And I don't know where to put myself regarding my training. What's the best way to determine this, fair, this fairly without being over the top? I know I should know my worth, Marty because that's what you're going to say. Um, but I really don't because I don't work out in the community and the military literally gets free sessions from me and programs and all the support they need while I get paid by a budget built by Congress. So how can I gauge my experience overall with a comparison of the hourly work? Okay. So first and foremost, what I would do is I would do um, kind of a, an analysis of the area, right? Call the five or 10 places you'd aspire to work at and see what they're charging. 
call a couple other personal trainers that might be doing home training and see what they're charging. You should be able to graph it and see kind of a standard in the industry for your area, right? I live in Southeast Florida, Palm Beach area. So it's a higher cost of living and there's a more discretionary income. So it's not uncommon for people to charge $150 an hour or more. Now that's not saying that they get to keep all that, but that's kind of a baseline, right? In private country clubs, it might only be 85 or $90 because the club doesn't need to make as much money um, off those services because they have a high membership. So you start to figure out kind of, like, okay, here's kind of the range. Then from there, you have to look at where you're at in your career and also, you know, what your, in a sense, what your bottom hourly rate should be. You know, for example, I know right now what that number is, as busy as I am. If somebody calls me, I'm not even putting myself out there if it didn't reach this number. So if you're newer to this, you may say, okay, what's the minimum I feel that my time's worth? And now that I've tracked what the area industry is showing, am I a lot lower than what the industry is showing? Or am I maybe even a little bit higher, like my time's worth more, but at least you can kind of get a gauge in that realm. Then from there, you know what you're worth? You're worth what someone's willing to pay you. So if you are incredibly good and you're doing everything correct and they enjoy you and you're reliable and you're, they're seeing results, you might be able to charge even more than what's in your area because they see your value and they don't want to let you go. So I can't give you an exact number because I, you know, we'd have to do that analysis of your area. It's just like buying a house, right? A four bedroom house in Palm Beach gardens, Florida, where I live is going to be totally different than if I was in the middle of Ohio but so would my earning potential. So, you know, in taxes, so you got to kind of figure all of that out. But at the end, when you get a rough number, start to see where you feel like, oh my God, if I got that, I'd be excited. Or wow, if I got that, you know, that's not enough for me. Then you have to kind of be creative and figure out how you can get more than what the average is in that area. Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback on that. A, the analysis is super important for sure, because you have to be competitive you don't want to be over the top. Like, like if the average is to your point, Marty, 85, and then you say, I'm going to charge 150, what's going to differentiate you from somebody else that, that puts you that far above everyone else. Now you do have a lot of credentials. You do have a lot of really good education behind your belt, but just because you have those certifications, are you really using them? I think that's the second part. How comfortable are you in every one of those silos that you just listed and then you have to think too are you working out of your home if you have to rent a space if so what does that space cost and if you're only going to have one or two is it worth it if you're going to their house you have to think about the drive time you have to think about the gas and so you want to think what is it that you're able to keep if you're working for just yourself if somebody like let's say goes to a big club and on average, their trainers are making $100 a session or charging $100 a session. To Marty's point, they're not keeping $100 of that. They're actually having to give you know, that, that, um, that gym a portion of those session rates. And so if you are maybe a little bit lower, but you keep 100% of that, then it is a win-win. So you, And then think about taxes. And you have to think, too, how many personal clients are you going to have outside of what you're already doing? And can you make a living off of that? And if you want to do just personal only, what is going to be, um, how much money do you need to make? And then you have to start thinking, okay, how many sessions do I need to do a week? And then what is it going to allow me to do in order to live the way that I want to live doing what I'm passionate about? So you may start a little bit lower in the beginning, get 
you know, get a good foundation of clients, show them that you can get the results, show them all the stuff Marty said, reliability and in good programming. And then at that point, you can up your rates for the newer people that are going to be coming to you, but you can still keep keep those rates for your, you know, found founding uh, clients. I mean, I have some clients that I've had since the day one and they pay a lot less. And I have them on my books all the time. And I don't, I will not increase them because the word of mouth and the people they brought to me, they're worth every single penny of it. So keep that in mind too. It doesn't mean that where you start is where you have to stay, but you also don't want to be um, not competitive. And you also don't want to be under what everyone else is because then you start to be undervalued and people will pay a premium price because they think premium price means better. So if you're confident, you're, you have everything dialed when you talk to this individual. I'm going to do assessments. I'm going to program you this way. Your attitude is also a part of what you should charge. But if you're not confident going into it, then you're probably not going to be able to make what you're worth because there's some doubt in yourself that's going to show to those clients. Excellent points. So as a wrap up, Key thing, Wendy did a great job talking about why we have the CPT Facebook page. It's an extension of everything we're doing here. Definitely, you should be following those NASM Instagram channels so you can get those small drips of information consistently. Are you using all of your resources? And shocker, stick to the open team. Um, I really enjoy these, Marty, because I know that they're helpful because they're questions that we get. So you guys keep these questions coming. We love doing these. And Marty and I are going to try to do these fairly often. So therefore, if you miss something on the Facebook page or you never saw it, or you obviously don't see what's in our, our emails, we want to be able to share that with our listeners because we do find these questions um, very important and uh, we get them often. So we don't just see them one time, but if you do have questions and you do want to contact, contact me directly, you can email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my information popping right up here now, dr.martymiller72, email marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, as always, it's always a pleasure hanging out with you and Eric. Great job as always, our producer making us look good, sound good. And for all of you that joined us this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable, can't thank you enough. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.